was this an expected reaction, and how does IATA react to their reaction? No, I, I was shocked when they uh, reacted. I did it. You know, it was a great surprise that they were trying to tell us that we were wrong. <laughs> you know, it was... Uh, <laughs> You're listening to Dots, Lines, and Destinations, a travel podcast with host Stephen Seagraves, Fosma Moon, and Seth Miller. Hello, and welcome to episode 354 of Dots, Lines, and Destinations, coming to you live from Boston, the Pack Plaza Hotel. Uh, it is the IATA Annual General Meeting this week, and obviously this is Seth uh, leading the conversation. I'm joined by, once again, Danny Lee uh, from Hong Kong. Uh, he has, I think last time was, we figured this out, I think it was almost exactly two years ago as I was passing through Hong Kong on one of the Cathay First Mistake Fairs. Uh, so we got to hang out, A, which was amazing, but also be had on the podcast. So welcome to the show. Yes, thank you very much for having me. It's been too long. Welcome to the United States. Welcome back to travel. It's a little weird, huh? Everything feels very strange, especially when you're in a, living in a zero COVID city and God. And then coming to the United States. Yes. <laughs> Traveling is, it feels very weird. What, 500, 565 days without travel and packing just one bag full of masks, shields, other things to keep me safe during travel. So that's one of the real big things of travel that I've had to get used to. Yeah. And a lot of disinfectant. <laughs> and not to say that, like, that was a terrible choice and why did you do that? But, like, uh, somewhere along the line, I feel like, We've sort of learned a little bit, like, the disinfecting. Smart thing to do. Keep your hands clean, you know, don't touch your eyes, all that other stuff. And perhaps COVID has forced that issue. But we know it's probably not surface transmissible now, right? It's, it's an airborne. And so it's, but, and which is not to poke at you necessarily, but like, we're at a conference and there's a lot of hand sanitizers around, but no one, no one ensuring fa- mask uh, compliance, even though it's a city of Boston rule. So, right, there's some weird things even still, you know, people are like, well, we didn't know, we didn't know, but now we know, and we're still seem to be, sort of be doing it wrong in some ways. Yeah, lots of things I've seen over this IATA conference kind of screws with my mind, sitting with many people who are not wearing a mask, yeah. seeing lots of hand sanitizer and very few people using it. I mean, even when I take disinfectant and hand sanitizer around, I kind of feel self-conscious when I'm traveling because I don't want to give the impression to the flight attendants if I'm on a plane that they haven't cleaned their planes nearly as enough as I think. I just feel it's for my own safety that I want to wipe down all the surfaces. I want to be in Naomi Campbell and get everything <laughs> sparklingly clean. So, yeah, I, I just feel like... I'm going to say there's multiple reasons you want to be the Naomi Campbell, but anyways. Probably. <laughs> I'm probably as much of a drama queen. But I just feel, for me, having lived in Hong Kong where we know masks work, I just feel happy to have it on. And as long as my interviewees, my guests, anyone in Nyata is happy to have me wearing a mask and they can understand me as I'm doing my business and doing my interviews, then that's fine. But I can't, I can't control yeah. if people are not going to wear a mask or not. I just keep a fair safe distance. Yeah. Not no. from you, of course. Oh, and, you know, I'm... Not perfect by any stretch either, but, um, you know, it, it is an interesting, but it, that I think is, and that sort of goes to like the, what's it like to be back in travel? I mean, you said you're 560 days, 580 days, something like that. 565. 565 days. And this was your trip back. Yeah. I'm such a loser for counting. Eh, and, you know, I, well, I knew my number when it was finally over, but that was a work <laughs> trip last year. So, you know, it's, it was easy to calculate. Are you putting Google like days since, you know, March 10th or days since whatever? And it tells you, but, um, I hope you weren't like scratching it and like your prison wall on the headboard or something, like keeping track. But. Well, it was also quite stressful. So I was not necessarily looking forward to it because you know the amount of stuff you're trying to pack and you're thinking, yeah. have I done enough of this? Have I got enough of that? Have I got enough underpants? Because, and also, <laughs> the luggage weight that you can take, the luggage allowance you can take hasn't really changed fundamentally. Right. 
and I have to go back to Hong Kong to do 21 days quarantine. So everything I have to think about, uh, how much I need for 21 days as well, where you can't really, you can wash your own clothes in a hotel bathroom sink, but that's very unappealing. You can't get it laundered uh, in the hotel. So you're taking so many supplies for 21 days. I hadn't considered that part. You're literally, it's what you need to bring three weeks worth of whatever mm. in your suitcase mm. for when you show up. And all the extras for what you need when you're actually traveling. So it's, it's you know, take, I've taken 40 odd kilos of, of, of stuff just for what effectively is seven weeks of travel. So it's a lot of things sure. uh, and being in multiple places, but yeah, you throw the kitchen sink and more at it yeah. just to make sure that you're okay. So I'm going to, I'm going to make a little less fun of you for having packed a 23 inch monitor now knowing that you're stuck in a hotel room for three weeks after you get back and that maybe it's going to be useful to you there oh absolutely <laughs> so yes i did take a an extra uh computer monitor with me because not just i like big curvy screens i need to work and yeah. a small laptop just doesn't cut it for me these days yeah you you were the envy of the iata media room reporter community <laughs> certainly with that uh <laughs> it's also like a shield from you know, certain you people <laughs> um Let's talk about the travel experience that you had coming here. I mean, my, my travel experience coming to Boston was very different than yours. I sat on a train for an hour uh, and pulled into North Station. You had to fly or got to fly, depending on how you look at it. It was connecting trip through Seoul. Yes. Right? I mean, your green credentials are far better than mine, to say, for the start. For this, but... But having tried a, a new airline long haul for the first time, going for a new airport terminal... It was lovely and weird and strange to be arriving at 5 a.m. And yes, you, you expect to be quite quiet at that time, but yeah, there's just really no one. So I'm just meandering around Incheon Terminal 2, which is the new home of Korea and just... And it's gorgeous. It's gorgeous, but also dead. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, the last time I was there was... Would have been two years ago at IATA, actually. They hosted it in Seoul. Mm, that terminal had just opened up then. Yeah. And I was I was taken aback at just how how beautiful and how lovely and how so many things are here and all the all the landscaping everything they've done inside it's just like wow but then you barely see another person 150 meters down the way and it's a big terminal as well so it was designed to handle like 380s and yeah lots of passengers at a time i mean were your flights empty or full about 20 25 percent load factor okay so it was it was quite business class was Virtually full, and then uh, economy barely filled on, particularly on both legs going from Hong Kong to Incheon and Incheon onto to Boston. So pretty similar uh, on both legs. It's yeah. just very few people. Yeah, I mean, and I guess that also sort of speaks to the who is traveling now, uh, especially between the U.S. and or North America and Asia, which is it's business travel only, which in some ways, which is sort of ironic because we're hearing about how business travel hasn't recovered yet for the most part. It's mostly leisure travel, but in the markets that are more closed. It's the people that truly have to, not the people that are just like, you know, looking for a vacation. Yeah, I, I really wish I asked these people. And they could, or they could have been leisure travelers just wanted space in a bed. Yeah, or and there are still going to be even students. And sure. But then even looking at the, the people at the boarding gate, mostly Korean, there are a few um, foreigners as well. So it's, a, it's still, and again, people still have to try and connect through whatever means possible. And thankfully, the likes of Korean still offer a decent amount of services into the US, so in and out. And so, yeah, I mean, I mean, Karina wouldn't have been my first choice initially because you go with what's easiest. But you know, when your options close, right. especially when you're trying to get an important conference, uh, you have to look at your options much wider. So it's been, yeah, yeah, traveling hasn't been easy in the, in the restart. I hope it gets easier, but you know, having to religiously comply with COVID tests and other forms of, uh, of compliance is tough. I mean, we talked about that just this morning, uh, where you're trying to connect through the UK, 
but still need a COVID test as though you're going to the UK and like how unclear that is from the processes. I wasn't aware until you corrected me, so you're thank welcome. God. Otherwise, I'd have been denied boarding at Boston and that would have been embarrassing and upsetting. Yeah. Um, but no, but I mean, but that just goes to the point of how confusing some of the requirements are and where to find them and just how to search for them is, is challenging. Yes. And I know that there are some apps which do a one-stop shop, but for all kinds of scenarios, there's no perfect yeah, uh, answer. I, I think there's a one-stop-ish, one-ish stop shop, yeah. so to speak, right? They, they're good at, when they get it right, they're perfect, but mm. there's, it's hard to know. And when you're thinking about nationality, when you think about where you've been vaccinated as well, that's now the biggest uh, difference where it's not so clear and who gets recognition yeah. and eligibility. So it's a nightmare. And I've actually heard a conversation, overheard a conversation here of someone saying that they had, I think, one Moderna and one AstraZeneca. It was a mixed blend, but they, they're double jabbed. Mm. But it's a mixed blend, and some countries count that and some countries don't. Right. And so do they get to call, call themselves fully vaccinated or not? And like, if you're using an app that says, are you fully vaccinated? Like, what would you check there? Yeah. I don't know. And, and even the UK, for example, they go the whole hog and say, if you've been a uh, a lab rat, so to speak, on on certain vaccines, and if you've been jabbed here or that, you can be you can be eligible for all sorts of exemptions. Yeah, except Hong Kong, which I'm very bitter about. <laughs> well, you know, not not a, not a colony anymore, so no. the rules have changed. Yes, yeah, so um, travel is not easy at the moment, especially with a, a Hong Kong vaccine. I could go to Europe, fine, but just not the UK. Yeah, good luck with that. Um, I want to talk a little bit about cafe. Mm. Uh, sort of your bread and butter, as it were. Um, and m- my experience with it and covering it is much more limited, um, mostly based on mistake fares. Uh, <laughs> and you sort of see, live and breathe it every day. Uh, are they going to survive? Is that a fair question? Oh, they'll be fine. Okay. I mean, you look at its cash balance, uh, its almost cash reserves at the moment. I think, if I recall, they're, they're sitting on about 31 billion Hong Kong dollars worth of, 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 of cash at okay. the moment. The good news is they've got their cash burn down to around 1 billion a month. Okay. So, in theory, they've got 31 months of, of reserves. And that's before you consider all the cash that's coming in from Cargo operations, yeah. which they are one of the biggest air cargo carriers and one of the top five in the world. So yeah, they 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 are doing the very best to survive. They've cut back on a lot of things. I mean, specifically on costs. So they've got a much lower cost base. Yeah. Um, the well, future is still very uncertain because. So what happens when you close like all of your lounges at Hong Kong Airport? Almost all of your lounges. Well, no, they've still got a few. It's few, few, and the better ones at that. I think it's just more. Where they restructure the employee costs. So that's, that's a substantial amount. And I mean, I'm just trying to think off the top of my head. And they, they would have sought discounts from suppliers. The, the whole playbook of how to try and save sure, money sure. during a crisis. But then the, the bigger problem still is when there's passenger travel return for Cathay, which is difficult when the borders are still in Hong Kong firmly shut. And there seems to be very little desire for Cathay to restart what is the part of their bread and butter is the hub operation and have flights still here and there from all parts of the world feeding into Hong Kong and people just pass through in transit. That's not happening for them because if they can't cover the cost of and the, of their of their passenger flights um, because they're flying empty and cargo is only going in certain directions, there's obviously no point flying. So yeah, their passenger operations is minimal. Yeah. And one of the things in the cost savings, they've, they've closed so many of their foreign crew bases, right? Pilot bases yes. have come down. They had operations of crew bases out of North America, uh, New Zealand, Australia, Germany, uh, London. So all these, particularly the pilot bases um, in these countries I mentioned, yeah. 
gone. All pretty much gone. The only outstanding one that remains is uh, for pilots is the, the US bases, which is going to be reviewed in a not too distant future this year. But given the trend, is almost certainly likely to close. Yeah. And we have seen with the cabin crew bases in the US and Canada, which were closed around the time of the pandemic and just before that started, in fact. So yeah, that- they've done a lot of work to refocus every, everything in terms of their, their crew resources on Hong Kong. So there have been decent savings there, but also the fact that when you still look at the, the cost of jobs, of talented, skilled labor yeah. that's had to go not just outside of Hong Kong, but in Hong Kong, particularly when we uh, saw the closure of Cathay Dragon in October 2020. That was pretty brutal. Yeah. And, you know, you mentioned what happens when they try to resume some of the services with those crew bases closed. Obviously, you base all your pilots out of Hong Kong instead, but there's some challenges there in terms of the sort of, you know, obviously there's operating costs versus, you know, in-plane operating costs versus... What does it take to like maintain a base of people outside of home? I mean, yeah, because traditionally, uh, to have a base outside of Hong Kong, it is cheaper to have them employed outside of Hong Kong for certain flights and certain routes, yeah. uh, certain uh, times of day that they will fly. But I think, given the the short to medium term, the, the lack of any consistent schedule, it, there's no point in the airlines view to have these these foreign bases and you know you, you just will bear with the extra cost but you gain in in simplicity overall yeah. over time um, yeah, that's fair um when, as the passenger service returns and we've talked about this sort of a little bit do, do you think Cathay goes back to its full premium sort of experience does that does the industry go back to that even that level of like first class you know, premium carriers and things like that. But does Cathay try to stay in that space? Oh, I, I think absolutely. Cathay will always remain premium. That 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 will never change. And you know, many airlines seem to be firm in, in that they are going to defend uh, their premiumness. Tim Clark was listening to him this morning over breakfast, and he was adamant that um, you know, airlines will look to uh, you know, defend that space. But still, the the, the be one end always to make sure that they stop the cash burn, return to profitability, and and keep all the things that make that airline great there because that's what customers will expect when travel resumes in a big way and Emirates by far is uh, is ahead of the game in in not really changing anything fundamentally looking to restart or get back to full network strength by the middle of next year in 2022 so they are really uh, being being uh, aggressive and perhaps bullish that they think that yeah. everything will get back to normal and we would have all forgotten about the virus. I think Clark said on the CEO panel here at the AGM, he said I think he was the most bullish on return of business travel, if mm. I remember correctly, of the five CEOs they had up there. He said next year, which mm. would be 2022, he expects to see. I, I don't think it's... Except for Asia, probably. Right, yeah, um, but he... well. Scott Kirby said, except for Asia. Yeah. Um, Clark seems to think that like there'll be enough, and I don't know if it was passengers, if it was revenue, if it was where, where he, if it was revenue miles, what like which metric he's using. But he seemed pretty keen that business travel is coming back. And I think there's some discussion about you know is it going to shift, right? Is it going to be less between the U.S. and you know South Asia, or less between the U.S. you know other different markets? But uh, trying to sort that out uh, and figure out which direction things are going. So. Definitely, um, some interesting discussion there. Mm. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I think just the, the 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 general optimism, Alan CEO is seeing the data. Yeah, I I don't disbelieve them. No, they can see more than what we can see. But then everyone likes to talk up a good game. Sure, they've got all. You know, if, if you tell people business travel has recovered, then the people who are on the fence are like, well, my my, my competitors must be out traveling, so I better get out there too. Yeah, but definitely, I think someone like Emirates who's Operating out of the super hub, and yeah. they have got 
to be honest, they've got they've still got they've, they've not got a lot to lose here. To be honest, and obviously they don't really have a domestic market as such. Yeah. So they'll push what they'll need to push. But um, yeah, at least if Emirates can make things work, hopefully many other airlines can. Yeah. Well, the other sort of rebound slash return to travel that we're hearing more about in the last couple of weeks has been A380s. Mm. Um, Singapore Airlines being the exception, which sent too often to be scrapped this week at uh, Painful. Uh, Painful. Shanghai, uh, right? But other than that, there has been British Airways is saying they'll bring some back mm-hmm. this year. I think Qatar Airways has said they'll bring back a few mm-hmm. this year. Not by choice. Well, I mean, so, yeah, well, <laughs> would you care to elaborate? Uh, well, I think that the well-acknowledged issues that that, or at least Qatar Airways thinks with the grounded, uh, partially grounded A350 aircraft. The, they need the, the paint problem. Yes, they need they need uh, capacity back into the market. So why not bring back the A380s? And at least they're there. They've not been scrapped. Yeah. And uh, and good time for BA British Airways, who were already starting to get some aircraft through their maintenance cycle. Perhaps they they've got a sense that you know these are our our most expensive assets. We need to get these primed in case of restarting. But it was never going. The A380 was never going to get away from them. So yeah. it's good that to see them. I think five. Uh, five is the plan by Airbus, the end of the year. And A380s, yeah. The uh, initial routes are Frankfurt and Madrid. I think sort of for crew. I think it's got to be crew training for crew, the crew, crew, right? Like yeah. I've got to get everybody retrained yeah. and recertified, yeah. which is kind of amazing. Um, but then from there, you'd get. Uh, they said in the U.S. it's Dallas, Los Angeles, and Miami. So. Uh, warm weather destinations, um, and really just, you know, high demand destinations, right? You can assume when the border reopens, winter demand from London or via London to Miami or to Los Angeles, those were historically winter A380 markets. So mm. it's not that surprising to see that those are where they're planning to bring them back. Yes. It's just big hole out in the east. Yeah. Namely uh, Hong Kong. Yeah. It's another market that. Oh, and Singapore. Yeah. Other markets that used to see those planes quite late, uh, frequently. Um, so we should explain that we just were gate crashed by Sam Chui. Yes. If you guys... Shouting from afar. Yes. <laughs> Hi, Sam. Uh, should have invited him over to talk. Um, he was leaving, though. Um, what else has come up here that you've, you know, with your ear to the ground, what other bits of, you know, fun information have you picked up here at the conference? Oh, that's a challenge. I... Or nothing, and we can I, I know, think... switch, switch just like, you know. Them some fit recommendations. No, I absolutely. No, I just think the the I still get the sense when we look at vaccines, the vaccine mandate. I mean, it's just it's still quite surprising to me that that airlines either cannot compel their staff or cannot even know that their staff have been vaccinated. So there's an element of trust there that you know, these staff, when they are being asked, can you operate this flight legally, that they are. And I just I just feel that you know it's a it's a on a need to know basis on a, on a airlines need to know. As much information as possible to get the crew safely in, into the skies. It just, it just amazes me how how airlines are like. We need we are bound by data privacy laws and, and what. Yeah, I think KLM Peter Elber said that right. Like they, they can't mandate it and they just have to trust that the Dutch law works. Yeah. Um, the U.S. carriers are still sorting out what mandates look like. United Kirby is the bell of the ball in so many ways here. People talking mm. about him from that New York Times article and the vaccine mandates. And he got up on stage just like, it was the right thing to do. It was no doubt in our mind. We had to do it. And, you know, very matter of fact, he sort of tried to play down the the importance of it in some ways. But compare that to Southwest Airlines, who's... uh drag kicking and screaming? And who's CEO. Like, the, the statement they put out in the press release was one thing, but... The video of Gary, apparently there's a transcript of a video from Gary Kelly out there now, who's the CEO talking, and he was pretty pissed to have to do it, like claiming they've been like sort of manipulated and forced and whatever. So it's, 
and honestly, I can't figure out what the end game is there, what he's trying to prove. But um, it's it's a really interesting uh, challenge, and you know, I think what's what Delta has said, even without a true mandate, they did right. They did the two hundred dollar health insurance penalty if you didn't have a vaccination. What they've shown, and and they're up above eighty something percent mm. vaccine vaccinated. I think of employees now. I think what we've seen with mandates and what Kirby has said also is basically do it. The, the, the employees eventually are going to like will comply because very very few of them actually think this that you know at the end of the day are willing to give up their job as a result. Yeah, I mean, especially in somewhere like America, where I like to think that working in aviation is a you know good, stable, well paid job. I mean, apart from the the fact that there has been a massive crisis, but also to then find yourself in a new career there otherwise, it's is that choice. I mean, unfortunately, I think that airlines do have to get tough. Some do legitimately say that there is a data privacy issue and they can't know whether their stuff has been vaccinated or not. But ultimately, if people who still go on to be unvaccinated, you know, with the variants of COVID still lurking around, they'll eventually pay the price. Yeah. And, you know, that's a risk of the business operation at the mm. end of the day. Like, right, I can understand wanting to protect employee privacy and all these other things potentially or, and the choice. But, like, at the end of the day, the business decision has to be, like, to operate an efficient, the airline efficiently, to be able to fly all of our international routes with rapidly changing and uncertain rules. And which, without having to have a dual operation of unvaccinated and vaccinated yeah. crew. How do you take the unvaccinated like unvaccinated crew for crew scheduling and mm. basically running a second seniority list is a second set of routes that they can operate in? Right. Do you, does an international airline like a Delta or United have to, but would they or American have to become a domestic arm and then an international arm and you only mm. you have to be vaccinated for any international services? Like there, there's a lot of different ways that could go. Yeah. But it's, and obviously the answer right now seems to be it doesn't matter because we're not going to, we're not going to actually see that because they're going to mandate it instead. But yeah, I, I really also am interested to see how airlines fall into line on air travelers flying internationally. They can only fly if they've been fully vaccinated. It seems that decision, for the most part, has been taken out of the airline's hands, particularly with the opening of reopening of transatlantic travel. But still, I think this is something where airlines probably, if they're bold enough, uh, get, get, they get tough. I like to think there's a financial advantage there. Yeah, I, I think that's going to come down to governments forcing it. I, I don't. I'm not as yeah. the airlines are going to do it. And I, I, I've wondered through this conference: Do airlines need the political cover in yeah. order to make certain, perhaps unpalatable things uh, that really need to be done uh, to be carried out by government? So, yeah. for example, the Biden administration taking the flack for forcing vaccine mandates. Yeah. I mean, we've seen the difficulty, not just Southwest, but with and United, uh, not United, sorry, correct, American, um, American Airlines. So it's 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 tough on on an incredible scale. But, yeah. but yeah. at the same time, Air New Zealand has basically... They, and Qantas. And Qantas have basically, I think, probably mandated, or if not fully mandated, definitely pushed very strongly by their government, have said, mm. no, it's going to, if you want to travel internationally to or from our country, you will be vaccinated. Yeah. Um, and so it'll see, it'll be interesting to see how many more come along uh, on that front. Um, what else can we talk about? Uh, you know anything about ITA, the New Alitalia? Uh, not very much. I know that they have a very expensive... A very expensive brand for sale. Uh, uh, no bids yet. Um, Two hundred ninety no. million euro. Uh, so the price will come down. It seems. Yep. Uh, what a cluster that is. Um, I will say that the uh, it's a shame they, they they put in a new order uh, for some aircraft. Yes, Airbus. A mix of all Airbus, but a mix of leased and owned, which yes. is interesting. But two twenties, three thirty neos, and three fifties. So sort of the writing was on the wall when they got rid of the triple sevens as part of the 
uh, buying out the old assets of Alitalia. But also, when you have such a small fleet of triple sevens, yeah, it was only like nine of them, I think. Yeah, so it's been through many, many different, including that one three hundred that they picked up from Etihad for no apparent reason. Yeah, it's just when you when you see uh, Alitalia and its many guises and you know like you're going to the Met Ball with many different dresses and <laughs> it's transformation every hour. Yeah. I mean, it's exciting to see. I'm also sad to see Alitalia go and it's going to be, yeah. go away in another 10 days' time or thereabouts, but... Well, and then it will be back in one of its many lives as the yes. new Alitalia. Um, but you also think of it as like a zombie airline. There are still many zombie airlines who exist, particularly in Asia at the moment. Yeah. I'm not going to name them. I'm not going to offend anyone, but many airlines for many years have, have, have modeled along and through COVID they... I would feel that they they didn't. I'm surprised that they're still in existence. But yeah. for governments who doesn't really have any other options, it's yeah. I'll name one: Thai, Malaysia. Like there are like these are airlines that have been a mishmash of Garuda. fleet types. Garuda, yeah, <laughs> mishmash of fleet types, mismatch of what the what's actually going on here. But also, to their credit, most of those have been and they're all government owned or pseudo government owned, mm. right? Through an investment arm or something like that. But those governments have often said, "Yeah, we know that the airline isn't necessarily making money, but we make up an, we make up the difference on tourism dollars, mm. right? It's enough to if, if they can bring in extra tourists, if they can bring in extra hotel nights and you know room tax nights and dinner you know, food tax nights or whatever, that offsets the costs. So I'm not yeah. sure that's the smartest way to do it, but that's how the governments look at it. Somewhere. Yeah, and, and you can see even though Japan is a completely different market to say like that of Thailand sure. uh, or, or Indonesia or, or Malaysia, but you look at how Japan Airlines rose through the ashes, uh, through government intervention yeah. and through supervision in order to be a very profitable business post-bankruptcy and restructuring uh, a decade ago, to be honest. And they were having to go through some painful times, but that allowed uh, All Nippon Airways, its its chief rival, to to really take a lead on them and yeah. they can coexist. Yeah. Um, and JAL is now coming back pretty strong. Yeah. Well, so, but, we'll see what happens. But Yeah, we'll see what happens uh, in a post-COVID world. But, you know, it's you hope... Some like Alitalia that, uh, yes, you've got foreign airlines in a very open skies market in Europe snapping at the heels, but you'd hope with a fully reformed uh, cost structure, new aircraft, that they can find their own way in a very competitive market. Yeah. Well, here's the question. Is, is, there, is there a new enough management approach that's going to be competitive or not, right? They picked Rome as their base instead mm. of Milan, which historically everybody said business was in Milan. Maybe you need to be focused there. And Alitalia has always focused on Rome instead uh, for the, because the prestige of Rome, I guess. I don't know if that's what the government base you know, wanted them. But mm. they're, they're, it'll be, you know, like everything, it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. But I'm, I'm, I'm skeptical, right? Like it, it doesn't look new enough and different enough other than that they killed off all the old you know, labor contracts, which will certainly help. Labor mm. was very expensive for them. But as, as the market tries to recover, can they you know, fend off the Ryanairs and EasyJets and Wizairs for the short and regional stuff? And then also, you know, if Lufthansa, if Lufthansa doesn't win the partnership contract to partner with them, mm. does Lufthansa say, screw it and bring Air Dolomite back and like try to flood the market again? They tried it once, right? There was a briefly a Lufthansa Italia sort of operation. Well, uh, Air Dolomite, which is, if your audience Right. Doesn't know already is the Italian arm thriving regional unit out of out of, out of Italy. They 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 hold their own hold their own very well yeah. already. So they're, they're always going to be waiting the wings. But so is Ryanair. So is EasyJet yeah. to an and, extent, and Welling to a small extent. Yeah, and Dolomiti mostly does connections onward back to right. Frankfurt and. And this is why Karsten Spohr of Lufthansa says we are the biggest uh, foreign or most successful uh, foreign carrier. Out of out of Italy yeah. uh, for intercontinental traffic, and at the same time, Delta is still talking about maybe we still want to try Alitalia as a partner. Oh, the the dance of all these suitors yeah. coming along down the line. 
it makes it interesting to see who picks what. Yeah. I, or who ITA or, pick. Yeah. I mean, I, you got to wonder also, like, what level of money people are trying to bring to it, right? Does Delta want to become an equity partner like they did you know, pre-COVID in so many places? I, I would imagine no. Um, but you also look at American has become equity partner with two airlines in South America recently. Mm. Like, there's been some play in that space again. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm still in all of Americans nimbleness but in, at least in Latin America they were given a wake up call after LATAM yeah. uh, opted out of, of their relationship to but know, forced uh, out by the governments but yes yeah and, and working closer with the likes of Delta now so yeah interesting um, anything else from the conference here that's piqued your curiosity uh, the food not very good as reasonable large portions yeah. not well, too bad welcome to America yeah I think, big. I think just getting used to the fact that we're all back together again and in, 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 in variety of forms yeah. being COVID compliant and not and you know it's uh, it takes a little getting used to after yeah. being away uh, from uh, living with COVID or having not experienced a living with COVID environment yeah I, actually one other thing I remembered from the event that there was a big push towards net zero emissions by 2050 mm. With zero details on how it's actually going to happen. Are you? Well, am, I, am I being too skeptical? Am I being too mean? Well, don't forget, I think the airline industry is trying to self-regulate itself, set itself its own targets in order to avoid things being done for them. Sure. And they have to set out a, a, a target, but then it's up to the airlines. As uh, as uh, Ayata says, it's up to the member airlines because they cannot, they cannot have jurisdiction over their member in their right. member airlines' own countries, as we have seen with China, who legitimately uh, feel that they need to follow the targets of its own country. Um, don't forget that for China, it's uh, for the airlines. Uh, they have such a large fleet that's going to only get bigger. Yeah. And they've got still a long way to go in that in that transition as well because uh, as they still grow uh, and they still uh, have to find their feet. Yeah. yeah. So I, I can understand why there was a... But it was, again, quite quite eye-opening to see such a large and vocal objection from China on something such as yeah. this. I mean, they, they did, China similarly objected in, I want to say, 2016 around some of the Corsia yes. stuff. So the big difference this time was that then there was a formal objection and they actually like voted no on the uh, resolution. I think this time they objected, but debatable whether it was purposeful or not. Purposeful or not. I think China Eastern proposed an amendment. Uh, China Southern proposed the amendment. Okay. And... But no one uh, seconded it. No. Um, so that it never got considered. No. But I think at least, I think the Chinese airlines on this particular topic at this time abstained. Yeah. So, and again, they're not against, I think no, no uh, right-minded airline is against uh, getting uh, there, getting to decarbonization. It's just how they get there and when, more and importantly. Yeah. Well, you know, I think the answer is probably not quickly enough, but no matter what, but we'll figure out, you know. Yeah. It's, which is a challenge that the, you know, the industry spent. And not just this industry, but industry and society has spent too long not reacting, and now we're behind. Yeah, absolutely. Alrighty then. Um, any other parting shots before we go? Oh, I just hope I might get an upgrade when I fly to <laughs> London and beyond. If anyone's listening, thanks. <laughs> I'm not sure we have that power here on Dots, Lines, and Destinations, but we'll see what we can do. Um, as always, you can follow us on Dots, uh, on Twitter at Dots Lines. Feel free to leave a comment or send us a note uh, or more Dots, more lines .com. Uh Thank you, as always, to our Patreon subscribers. If you want to join, get occasional additional content and early access to the shows, uh, we're on Patreon. You can find those details on our website and Twitter account as well. Uh, thank you, uh, at Journo Danny Lee. No, Journo Danny, Danny Arrow. Journey, yeah. I guess, last time you got it wrong, this time I got it wrong. Yeah, that's true. Journo Danny Arrow on Twitter. Uh, if you want to find Danny Lee and keep track of all the reporting out of Hong Kong uh, and what's going on in the world of transportation there. Uh, and that's all. Take care.